You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. And the number one idea that I want you to get is that Jesus makes this powerful statement in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. And this is the first of seven I am statements that we read about. So John's gospel covers Jesus' whole life story. He can't tell us every detail. Um, The book that we're reading here, we could read it in the space of a couple of hours, but it covers three and a half years of Jesus' life and ministry, so he couldn't include everything. But he is sure to include the things that will give us signs and reasons to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And in this book, he gives us seven signs or miracles that Jesus completes. And we've seen a few of those already. And he also gives us seven I am statements that Jesus said. And so John, through the Spirit's leading, is very intentional about giving us seven signs and seven of these I am statements. But when we read these, I don't want you just to hear that Jesus is comparing himself to bread. Because he is, but there's something deeper here. He is referencing when God first appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And he calls Moses to go and free the Egyptian people. And he does all of these things. And Pastor Eric was referring to the, 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 the Passover feast that they would celebrate to remember God celebrating them. And it was in that Passover feast that God institutes communion. And Moses says, okay, if you're calling me to this, and people ask, who is sending me, what should I say? Who should I tell them is sending me to free them? And he says, tell them that the I am has sent you. The I am. Now, for me, if I'm going to introduce myself, I need to give you some context and some connections. Um, it, was, it was just really great uh, that at the convention, my friend, guy who ministered here in our church for several years, Kevin Bass, got to introduce me. And in introducing me, he talked about my family, He talked about our church. He talked about the relationships that I have to give people some context for who I am as a grandson, as a son, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, right? And so that kind of gives a broad picture of who I am. When we we had Bob Scales' funeral a week and a half ago, the obituary listed all of his relatives, both those that have gone on before and those who survived. That gives context to the life that he lives. But God doesn't have that context. God doesn't have, I came from, or I am on the same level as. God is, I am. And for me to say, I am, you are what? Well, for God to say, I am, he's saying, I exist. I am here. I have always been. And and literally this idea is, is, I am that I am, or I be what I be. And I be what I be is just funner to say, isn't it? So that's what, that's what God's communicating there to Moses. And so when Jesus shows up and he uses these I am statements and he refers to himself as that great I am, he is connecting himself with the God of Moses who spoke to Moses in the burning bush before he led all of the people free. And so there's this, this, this callback, if you will, to the Old Testament, God appearing to Moses and saying, I am. And, and, and there's also a little bit of this element of, I am who I say that I am. 
and what you have to say to, of me doesn't, doesn't matter. All right? I, li- I like the way that Matt Chandler uh, gave us a, a, an analogy for this. He said it, it's kind of like you could say some things about the sun, right? So, so you could say, you know, the sun doesn't seem that hot. The sun doesn't seem that big. But if you get close to it, it's pretty big and it's pretty hot, right? The closer you get to it, the more you realize you were wrong. And we can say some things about God. We can say, like, I think God is this. And, and that is so common today. It is so common today for people to say, I think that God X. Or, or I think or, or I feel this about God. And what we think or what we feel about God has as much bearing of who God actually is as what we think or what we feel about the sun has bearing on what the sun actually is. And so he's saying, I am that I am. Now, if we were going to get an idea of just how big the sun is, I could, I could help you make a, 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 a model of our solar system to scale, right? And you'd be like, the big yellow one is the sun, right? You'd know that's the, that's the big one. It, you can tell how much bigger it is than all of the rest of them. And that would be a way to compare. And what Jesus does in these I am statements by saying, I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the lamb of God. He's telling us what he's like. And so what we think about him doesn't impact who he is. But he wants us to know who he is. And so he's given us these comparisons that we can make so that we can get an idea of who he is. And so that being said, that's, that's what's happening here in this passage. If you would read with me in John chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum. Seeking Jesus. Now, these are the people that Jesus has fed. There are the people that were in the desert, and Jesus feeds 5,000 men, so probably 12,000 people. If you're counting all of their, there's bunches of people. He's fed them all with just one little boy's lunch. And they come back the next day for seconds, and Jesus is not there, and they see that the disciples are gone. They also notice there was only one boat, and the disciples are gone, and Jesus didn't go with the disciples, so they're kind of curious how Jesus got to the other side, and that's all there in that passage. And Verse 25, they get across, and when they had found Jesus, which, I mean, this is noble, right? They didn't find Jesus on this side of the water, so they have gotten in boats, and they've crossed the sea to find Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, or Master, when camest thou hither? And you think Jesus is about to compliment them for their dedication, their willingness to cross the sea and find him. Wrong. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Jesus says to them, I know the reason that you've crossed the sea is not because you believe. It's not because you have seen the signs and you have believed in me. It's because you ate the food and your stomach was full. Now, for us, it may be kind of hard for us to identify with these people in this context because today in our culture, you can be poor and overweight at the same time because there's such an access to food like never before. That didn't happen back then. If you were poor back then, if you were disabled, you couldn't work the land, and you didn't have money to buy your own food, you did not look overweight because you were starving. 
Food was constantly something that they were working towards, constantly something that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as available like it is today. We have benefited from the perfection of agriculture and preservation. And so we have food always ready at our disposal, always ready for us. Um, I, I have not thought a thing about where my next meal is going to come from, but I'm going to eat, all right? It's going to happen. These people, it was different for them. And so for them to come across Jesus, and Jesus can feed them out of nothing. He can take one piece of bread and feed thousands. This is mind-blowing. And their day, food came at a high cost. It was a lot of labor. It was a lot of work. And in fact, this was, this was so true that it wasn't a, 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 it wasn't a status symbol back then to have Mercedes Benz, okay? But it was a status symbol to be overweight. Because if you were overweight, you clearly had money, right? Maybe I would have done better in those times. All right, I could have just fit in and be like, look at me, I'm rich. But when they were overweight in that day, it was like, like you clearly have money. You clear, you, you're able to eat as much as you want. Most of us can't do that. Most of us don't have the means to do that. Most of us go through lean time. And so for them, the food was a huge, huge thing. But Jesus tells them, listen, I know that food is a big deal for you. But look at what he says in verse 27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath, the God, hath God the Father sealed. Jesus says, listen, don't, don't labor for this food. Don't work yourselves constantly to death trying to get a hold of this food. Rather, get a hold of the meat that doesn't fade away. And they're missing it. They're missing it. So look at what they say in verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And man, this is right where all of us are at, okay? Because what they say in this moment is, Well, Jesus, tell us the secret, man. What's the secret? What do we need to do so that we can do what you do? What do we need to do so that we can have the access to power that you have? Just tell me what I need to do. And that's where we live. There's a reason that some of the most popular articles online say something like, one simple trick to lose weight, right? We're like, just tell, tell me what I need to do, right? Tell me what I need to do. I just need to eat a lot of celery. Awesome, I'll do that and I'll lose 40 pounds. Great. We're always looking, like, what do I need to do? What is the one thing that I can do that is going to solve these problems, going to fix everything for me? And what Jesus says in verse 29 is, there's not a to-do list. There's not a punch list. We're always looking for a checklist, and that's the reason it's so easy for us to fall into legalism. It's so easy to fall. If I follow these rules, then I'm good. Then God's happy with me, and my life is going to be like it needs to be. If I, just, if I do X, Y, and Z, then God's going to give me these blessings or these promises. But look what Jesus says to them. He says, this is the one thing you need to do in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He has sent. He says, here's your to-do list. Here's your one thing that you need to do. You need to believe. And that's simple, it's a very short list of rules, but it's so hard. It's so hard. You see, believing is more than saying, I, I believe God is real, or I believe in a God, or I'm a child of God. 
believing that Jesus is who he says that he is, believing that Jesus is the one who was sent from God, it means that we believe that he is right. We believe that he knows more than I do. We believe that God knows what we need. We believe that when, when our heart wants to go left and God says you really should go right, we believe that he knows what he's talking about, so instead of going left, we go right. When we feel like we, we should quit and we should stop and God tells us to keep going, we say, well, this is what I feel, but what God says I know is right, so I'm going to follow him. I'm going to believe in him. I'm not believing in myself. I'm going to believe in him. And this is so foreign to them, and it's also foreign to us. It's foreign to us because what we constantly hear is you just need to believe in yourself. You just need to believe in yourself. And, and I, I totally understand the need for self-esteem and for people to have the confidence. But what God says here is you don't need that. What you need is you need to believe in me. You need to follow me. The one thing that you need to do is believe in me. And in our culture, this is totally foreign. Because the thing that we're constantly grasping after in our culture today, maybe not so much is, is food, but it's, it's meaning or it's significance. It's, t- tell me that I'm doing a good job. Tell me, tell me that, that what I'm doing matters. Tell me that this means something. And we're constantly looking for, for something to get a hold of. So Jesus says, you should, you should believe in me. That's, that's the one thing. And so then they, they get a little sneaky. All right, I want you to see how they respond to him. Verse 30. They said, therefore, unto him... What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? All right, so, so they're saying, okay, we're supposed to believe. We're with you, Jesus. We need you to show us a sign so that we can believe. And then look at verse 31, because they, they've got an idea of a, of a sign that he can show them. Verse 31, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. That's bread. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You see what they did? They said, okay, well, all right, God, we're supposed to believe. We need you to show us a sign. How about you make more bread? They brought it right back to their stomachs. They brought it right back to their appetite. That, that's what they were bringing this back to. They're like, well, hey, you know when Moses led the people through the desert and they were, they were in a place where they had no food? God would make bread show up from heaven. Why don't you do that? Then we'll believe. Last year, uh, for Trunk or Treat, my family, Nicole, myself, Lincoln, Haven, we dressed up as the cast from Napoleon Dynamite. Um, if you're not familiar with that, that movie, I'm sorry. It's just fantastic. <laughs> Came out like 20 years ago now, which is hard to believe. But it, it centers around this one character who's a new kid at school, and he's going to run for class president. And he gives his speech on why everybody should vote for him. And his last line is, vote for Pedro and all your dreams will come true. Which is, clearly, he cannot keep that campaign promise. But it's a lot like the the promises that politicians make all the time, right? They just make promises that they cannot keep. And so he's saying, vote for me and all your dreams will come true. And what happens lots of times is is people want to take the message of Jesus, and they'll say, if you'll just follow Jesus, all your dreams will come true, and you'll have everything that you need. But but Jesus goes the opposite way here. 
He says, if you follow me, I'm not going to give you all these things you want. I'm not going to give you the bread that you desired. I'm not going to make your belly full. But if you follow me, I'll give you something far better than that. I'll give you bread that makes your soul full, that gives you life. I'm not going to give you a meal that satisfies you in this moment. I'm going to give you life. Friend days in, in two weeks. Um, I hope that you're praying and inviting people. Um, in the past, when we would do friend day, we would always do a meal. We would do a lunch after the service. We're doing two services now, so we'll have coffee and donuts for both, but we won't be having lunch. And, and, I, and I say this from a heart of compassion, but every year there were people that they would show up on friend day because it was 100% about the meal. <laughs> they would, right? Like I, mean, like, I would not see them any other time except for services where we were going to have lunch because Mrs. June's chicken and dumplings is awesome and they were going to be here for that. And, and their connection with our church really centered around some food. It centered around this thing that they, that they wanted, and it wasn't so much about Jesus. And, and, and we, we continued having the lunches, and I was hoping that they would come for the chicken and dumplings, and they'd get a little bit of Jesus too, you know? Jesus says, listen, if you will come to me, I, I don't want to give you fish and bread. I don't want to give you chicken and dumplings. I want to give you something that is far better, something that lasts, something that is eternal. He said, the bread of this world doesn't last, but the bread that I'm trying to offer you does. So look down at verse 47 with me. Jesus says in verses 47 and on, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And there's 48 where he says, I am that bread of life. And he says, yes, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus says, yeah, your, your fathers, your ancestors, God gave them bread in the desert and they still died. That bread only fed them for the day. And you just take some time and you read the story of God leading the people through the desert. He would feed them manna every day. And you know what they would do? They would complain all the time. They would complain. And then they said, we, we, we missed the fish and the onions from when we were slaves in Egypt. They missed the food from slavery. God sends them meat and then they complain about it. And everything that they got, that they thought they just really, really wanted, they got it, and then they complained. And you know what that's like because you've done the exact same thing, haven't you? There's been something that you just, you, you had to have it. It's the thing that has occupied your mind, your thoughts, and then you get it and you're like, well, this isn't what they said it would be. This hotel room is nowhere near as big as the pictures looked. This is not what the weatherman said was going to happen today. It's way more expensive here than I thought it was going to be, right? We get this thing that we want, and then we're disappointed. And even the things that, that, that overwhelm us with how great they are, and even the things that are better than we expected, eventually we grow tired of them. And people were fed manna in the desert, but then they complain. 
And what we do in this life is we constantly strive for things that do not satisfy. I, I promise you that if you could wave a magic wand and make some aspect or every aspect of your life better, you would still be unsatisfied. If you were suddenly famous, if you were suddenly rich, if you were suddenly living in a better place, if you suddenly had a better job, if suddenly your guy was in control in Washington, D.C., if suddenly you were in control in Washington, D.C., you would still be unhappy. You would not be satisfied. And Jesus is saying, you have crossed the water to come find me because you want lunch. And I'm trying to offer you something better than lunch. I'm trying to offer you something that satisfies your soul. Get your mind off of your stomach and think about your heart. None of that would satisfy. You know what Jesus said? He's saying the things that you're striving after, it's like an ice cream cone. It's nice, but it doesn't last. You either eat it or it melts away, it's gone. And the temptation for churches this, this day and age is to say, listen, if you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus and give some money, then you'll get those things that you want. And it's not true. It doesn't satisfy. It leaves us empty. You see, the truth is that candy can draw a crowd, but it will not feed an army. And the candy might have gotten people to come, and it might have made people cross the ocean so they could be near Jesus, but when he starts talking to them about the hard things, they bail, and they walk away. So in verses 52 to 56, we see that they are disappointed and then they're offended. Verse 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That was the last statement that Jesus made. Then Jesus said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So Jesus in his last statement, he says that I'm trying to give my life for the life of the world. I'm trying to give my life so you can eat on my flesh, and that will satisfy you. And the people are like, that doesn't make any sense. And instead of Jesus going, oh, you don't understand what I mean, he doubles down. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life. Verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. And all of this sounds horrible. It sounds like cannibalism. But if we understand what Pastor Eric read to us earlier, that Christ was establishing this new covenant where his body would be broken on the cross and his blood would be spilt. And when we ate the bread and we drank the wine, it was to remind us of his body being broken and his blood being spilt, that we're putting ourselves in that. We are putting our trust in him. It does make sense. Because that is the meat and that is the drink which can satisfy our deepest needs in our hearts, give us freedom from our sin, and give us life eternal. But they weren't hearing that. Jesus said, this is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So the people were confused, and they were disappointed. They wanted bread, and Jesus is trying to show, show them, I'm giving you the bread of life, this bread that lasts forever, and they're not happy with that. And then Jesus breaks down, listen, I'm talking about myself. I'm going to be the sacrifice for you, and they're offended. 
You see, friend, what Jesus is showing us here is that we are plugged into life by trusting in Him. And there is no thing that we can eat, no substance we can take, no possession we can have, no person we can sleep with, no experience we can, we can dive into that will give us the life that we are craving, that will give us the meaning that we were designed for. It's only in Jesus. And in the context of food, he's saying, I'm the bread that you need. I am the bread of life. And I have made myself bread for you by dying on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins and be restored to a relationship with the Father. You see, the life that we need is only found in the source of life, the one who created us. And the only way for us to have access to him is by Jesus taking our sin, which separated us from him, so that we can be restored to him. And through that reconciliation, we're plugged back into the life that we desperately need. Remember why John wrote this gospel? I have written these things that you might have life. What's that life? It's in Him. He is the bread of life. And we miss out on life whenever we go running after something that promised us to give us the life. Because the life is only found in Christ. You know, today we don't labor much for bread. But maybe you're toiling for money, or you're desperate for affection, or you're dying for meaning. We're all looking for that indication that we matter, that we're important. And and you know what's rough about this current culture and context that we're in? That all of us are desperate for that. We're all desperate to know that we matter. And we walk around with a device in our pockets 24-7, always on us, that constantly tells us we don't measure up. Everything on here is telling you that you're missing something or you're not as good as, not as attractive as so-and-so. And so there's this constant thing happening for us that is showing us that we're not as good as so-and-so. We're not as young as that person. We're not as rich as that person. We're not enough. And listen, I love technology. I, I, I worked all week this week making it possible for people to catch clips. I love that I was able to edit video. And so when our new executive secretary was elected, immediately we had a clip of him giving his opening remarks. And missionaries who were on the other side of the world were able to tune in. We honored a, a couple that planted a church in Pennsylvania. And their family that was back home was able to see that. I love that those moments can happen. I love that you guys were able to tune in and watch that message. And so it can be redeemed and used for good. But when it's constantly telling us that we're not enough, it's constantly telling us that there's something that's missing and we need to take something else in, it's leading away from the thing that gives us life, and that's Jesus, the bread of life. The bread of life. In Christ, I have life, real life. And it's not because I got my act together. It's not because suddenly I'm making all the right decisions and I've I've actualized my best self. Listen, I had coffee and Oreos for breakfast this morning. I don't make the best decisions, okay? (laughs) But I have life, and it's not because I'm making all the right calls or because I'm so great. It's because of Jesus. It's because I have life in Him. In Him is life and satisfaction. He is the bread of life. And if we're only coming to him for what we can get from him, that's what these people were doing. They came across the water to get bread. And if we're only coming to him to get what we can from him, we're not following him. We're using him. And you can be extremely religious and do this. 
These people were religious. They, they knew about Moses. They knew about manna. This passage tells us that part of this sermon is in the synagogue in Capernaum. He, he is, he's talking to religious people. And you can be extremely religious and not get that life is in Christ. You can be coming to Jesus just to get what you think is going to give you life. And for some, that might be a feeling of superiority. I'm better than all the people that are sleeping in this morning. I'm better than the people who are doing those things. I'm more religious than that guy. But, but here, here's the telltale sign, okay? If, if all we're doing is coming to Jesus for what he gives us, when the thing that we want isn't available, we will bail. And that's what these people did. When Jesus made it clear, I'm not going to make bread for you, they walked. And when Jesus said, listen, if you really want the bread of life, you've got to trust in me and eat my flesh because I'm the bread of life, they were done. They walked away. And here's what I have watched happen. I've been pastor here for only 13 and a half years, and here's what I have watched happen again and again and again, is that people who are religious and attend worship faithfully and will sit and listen and will compliment the message after, there comes a point where Jesus says, hey, this thing in your life, it's got to go. And they're saying, nope, I'm done. There comes a point in their life where their preference doesn't match up with the mission of our church. And they say, we're going to go somewhere else where we can be what? Fed. Fed what? What we want? Fed candy? Fed fluff? If we're only coming to Jesus for what we can get out of him, we will bail. And that's what happens here. The Bible tells us that many disciples no longer follow Jesus after these statements. So some of you, you're following Jesus, and there's going to come a time when I'm going to preach a sermon that you're going to be like, man, Pastor Daniel wrote that all about me. Is he stalking me? And I'm going to have no idea what it's about. I'm going to have no idea that you're offended because I have no idea what's going on in your life. But you're going to feel like it was all about you. And it's just the Spirit calling out this sin in your life, this thing that needs to change, and you're going to be like, nah, that, this is not very affirming there. And what it is, is it's God saying, listen, let, let me show you the way. Let me, let me lead you into real life and, and real vitality. Let me show you that life is truly found in me and not this sin that you are following after. And there's going to come a moment where you're going to have to decide, am, am I in this for Jesus or am I in it for the feeling that Jesus gives me? Good. So, so many disciples bailed at this moment. And there's this really powerful statement in verses 67 and 68 that I want you to see. Many disciples from this point forward no longer followed him. And Jesus turns to the twelve in verse 67 and says to them, Will you also go away? And in verse 68, Peter responds. And Peter is forever putting his foot in his mouth and saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. But he says the right thing at the right time in this moment. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter says, he just states it very simply. Where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life life. Why did Peter know that? Because he, what he said in verse 69, because we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Where, where else are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. 
you, you know why I'm following Jesus? Because who else would I follow? Who else has the words of eternal life? There are plenty of words uh, of inspiration that you can find on TV or on radio or in books, but no one has the words of eternal life. Jesus alone. If we bail, where are we going? Who are we going to follow? Who has the words of eternal life? Only Jesus. Only Christ. It is only in Him. And even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when there are things that Jesus says that we don't really like and they push hard against what it is that we, we, we enjoy or we desire. And He says, forget your cravings. Let me feed you with truth. Let me give you the bread of life, the bread that leads to everlasting life. Throw away that junk. Let me give you something that is meaningful. Will we follow him? I say we should, because there's nowhere else to go. To whom else would we turn? He has the words of life. Would you bow your heads with me?